1 Kings chapter 16, beginning at verse 29 through 17, 1. The Bible says, Ahab, son of Omri, became king over Israel in the 38th year of Judah's king Asa. Ahab, son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. But Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in Yahweh's sight more than all who were before him. Then, as if following the sin of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, were a trivial matter, he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, king of the Sidonians, and then proceeded to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he had built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole. Ahab did more to provoke Yahweh, the mighty one of Israel, than all the kings of Israel who were before him. During his reign, Hiel, the Bethelite, built Jericho. At the cost of Abiram, his firstborn, he laid its foundation. And at the cost of Segub, his youngest, he set up its gates. According to the word of Yahweh, he had spoken through Joshua, son of Nun. Now Elijah the Tishbite from the Gilead settlers said to Ahab, As Yahweh, the mighty one of Israel, lives, I stand before him, and there will be no dew or rain during these years except by my command. May Yahweh bless this word to our hearts today. Now last week we began to talk about the reign of King Ahab and we saw how that he followed the wicked example of his evil father Omri and that Ahab did more evil in Yahweh's sight than all of the kings that were before him. He transgressed greatly by marrying a Sidonian Baal worshiper named Jezebel and the total reign of Ahab was 22 years it was a bleak time, a depressing time for the house of Israel. And as we read at the end of verse 33 last week, Ahab did more to provoke Yahweh than all the kings before him. His reign grieved and troubled Yahweh. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 16, New English translation says this, quote, Woe to you, O land, when your king is childish, end of quote. The king sets the temperament of society. Not for every single individual. There's always a righteous remnant. Glory to Yahweh. But the king sets the temperament for society in general or as a whole. As the king goes, so goes the kingdom. If a ruler is wicked, there is bound to be wickedness carried out on all different levels under him. And such is the case with 1 Kings 16 verse 34. The verse that we begin to look at today in our text. It almost seems like a verse that is stuck in a take-up space between describing King Ahab's reign, how wicked it was, and then moving on into the ministry of the prophet Elijah. But I assure you, verse 34 is not just there to take up space. Verse 34 is key to showing us just how wicked Ahab's regime was. You'll notice in verse 34, the author makes the point to say, during his reign, that is during Ahab's reign. It was during Ahab's reign that the following took place. What that means is that Ahab allowed that to happen. He authorized the endeavor that took place. What endeavor, we might ask? Well, it was the building of Jericho. The verse tells us that Hiel, the Bethelite, built Jericho. Now, to build Jericho here in this verse means to rebuild or to fortify the city. 
the city has stragglers, if you study its history, that lived there since the time of its destruction back in the days of Joshua son of Nun and Joshua 6 up until the time of King Ahab. There were a few stragglers that lived here and there within the city limits of Jericho, but it had been destroyed by Yahweh's command under the hand of Joshua and had not been rebuilt up until this time. Now I want you to hold your finger here in 1 Kings 16 because you're going to want to make a reference note if you make notes from this passage to Joshua chapter 6. Look at Joshua chapter 6. It's the first book of the Bible after the books of Moses, the Torah. And we'll read Joshua 6 verses 24 through 27. We're going to see what the author of 1 Kings is referring to. Joshua 6 is all about the conquest of Jericho. Alright? Yahweh was taking away the land from the Canaanites and giving it to the Israelites. And in Joshua 6, 24, it says that they burned up the city and everything in it, but they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of Yahweh's house. But Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, her father's household, and all who belonged to her, because she hid the men... Joshua had sent to spy on Jericho, and she lives in Israel to this day. Verse 26 is the key. At that time, Joshua imposed this curse. Cursed before Yahweh is the man who undertakes the rebuilding of this city, Jericho. He will lay its foundation at the cost of his firstborn. He will set up its gates at the cost of his youngest. That's almost identical wording to 1 Kings 16, verse 34. And Yahweh was with Joshua, Joshua 6, 27, and his fame spread throughout the land. Take special note of Joshua 6, 26, where Joshua imposes the curse and compare that with 1 Kings 16, 34. If you make reference notes in your Bible like I do, sometimes people buy a reference note Bible, and that's good too. I always find that I add to the reference notes that are already in the Bible. So you can make a reference note between those two verses. 1 Kings 16.34, which speaks of the word that Yahweh spoke through Joshua, the son of Nun. Joshua's curse in Joshua 6 wasn't something that he made up. It wasn't something that he just decided to pronounce upon anybody that would rebuild the city. Yahweh was speaking through Joshua, the son of Nun, the successor of prophet Moses. And there was a curse imposed upon any man who rose up to rebuild the city of Jericho. And the curse was this there would be a death of his sons, both the firstborn and the youngest. Well, 1 Kings 16.34 says, At the cost of Abiram, his firstborn, he laid its foundation. So as he began to rebuild and fortify Jericho on the foundation, Abiram, Hiel's firstborn son, died as punishment from Yahweh. Yahweh killed him. And then, as Hiel began to set up the gates as he finished building the city, or rebuilding and fortifying the city of Jericho, Sagab, his youngest son, died. Yahweh's curse came to pass. Yahweh is not slack to keep His promises. But we must not limit that statement to promises of blessing, but also promises of cursing. He is Yahweh that blesses, but He is also Yahweh that curses. Let's not negate any of His attributes. He is the mighty one who keeps His word. He never forgets. Man may forget. We may forget. 
we may not pass His Word down from generation to generation so that our offspring or our progeny knows His Word from this time forth on. But Yahweh never forgets. And He will curse those who spit in His face. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 9-10 through 10 says this, Know that Yahweh is the faithful Mighty One who keeps His gracious covenant loyalty for a thousand generations with those who love Him and keep His commandments. Isn't that beautiful? I love to read that verse. It's music to my soul. But let's not forget verse 10. Verse 10 says, But He directly pays back and destroys those who hate Him. He will not hesitate to directly pay the one back who hates Him. Yahweh pronounced this curse back in the days of Joshua. Joshua chapter 6. And around 140 years later, Hiel the Bethelite decided to try Yahweh at His word. And Hiel lost. He chose to rebuild that wicked city, that wicked Canaanite city of Jericho. He loved that city more than he loved his two sons, Abiram and Sagam. And he was willing for Yahweh to kill his sons so that he could build that city. Maybe he didn't think Yahweh remembered that curse. 140 years later, roughly. But brothers and sisters, Yahweh doesn't forget. He's just as true to His cursings as He is His blessings. It's just that man likes to only focus on the blessing and not on the cursing. Man wants to think that he is greater than the Most High. Man wants to think that he can defy the Most High. But the reality is is that no one can defy the Most High. He's called the Most High for a reason. Well, in the midst of this, let us learn another lesson as we read and study this passage. And that is this. Yahweh is not asleep when wickedness is on the rise. He did not take a day, a month, or a year off of His job when an evil king did great wickedness. While Ahab ruled for 22 years, Yahweh wasn't taking a nap. Yahweh didn't disregard humanity. Yahweh did not do anything from heaven. No, that's not the case. Yahweh's not asleep. Yahweh saw what Ahab was doing when he built Baal, that temple. Yahweh saw what Hiel was doing when he rebuilt the city of Jericho. And Yahweh answered. Verse 34 is proof that Yahweh was not asleep. Because in verse 34, he basically answered by saying, Do you dare defy me? So be it. I will take two of your sons to fulfill the curse that I spoke through my servant Joshua. Yahweh is always in control. How often do we as Christians see wickedness in high places and then speak of despair? As though Yahweh does not see or realize what's happening around us. The culture around us is decaying. The standards around us are disappearing. Immorality is on the rise. And we lose hope and act like it's never happened before. Listen, it happened for 22 years in a row during Ahab's reign. Temples and idols to false gods were built during Ahab's reign. A Canaanite city named Jericho that had been destroyed by Yahweh's command was rebuilt during Ahab's reign. But Yahweh was wide awake in heaven. He didn't have to put any toothpicks in his eyes to keep them open. Yahweh was wide awake in heaven. He knew everything that was going on and He proved it by killing Hiel's two sons when He laid the foundation of Jericho and set up His gates to finish the city. Yahweh's fierce judgment came down upon the sons of man 
because he knew when the wicked heat was turned up in the oven against righteousness. Listen, brothers and sisters, do not play into the hands of the enemy. Whether it's the spiritual enemy, Satan and his cohorts, or whether it's a physical enemy, an adversary here on the earth. The enemy wants you to be afraid of everything except Yahweh. But Yahweh in the Word says, fear me. Be afraid of me. And fear in the Hebrew and in the Greek means fear. Don't let anybody tell you that it doesn't mean fear. Yes, it includes reverence, it includes awe, but it includes fear, a trembling. Isaiah says, Yahweh through Isaiah says, Who is the man that that I love? Who is the man that is righteous in my sight? He that is humble before me and who trembles at my word. He who fears me. The enemy doesn't want you to fear Yahweh. The enemy wants you to play into their hands. Fear them. Fear everything except Yahweh. The enemy wants you to fear those who can harm or kill your body. When Yeshua gave His disciples instructions, His twelve disciples in Matthew chapter 10, He told them, He said, Look, the religious leaders, they hate Me. You're My students. They're going to hate you too. But don't be afraid of what they can do to your body. Don't fear those that can kill the body. But instead, fear Him that is able to destroy both the body and the soul in Gehenna. And that Him is Almighty Yahweh. He doesn't just kill our body. He can destroy our soul in Gehenna. That's who we're supposed to fear. The one that we serve is bigger than Ahab. The one that we serve is bigger than Hiel. The one we serve is bigger than any person upon the earth at any time. No king or queen compares to Almighty Yahweh. The one we serve sees everything that is going on. He never takes any time off. And in His time and in His way, with His infinite wisdom, He brings about what He desires. And He will be true, brothers and sisters, to His curses. He will be true to His curses. Yahweh knows those who are His upon the earth. He knows those whose hearts belong to Him. And it doesn't matter if they're only a handful Yahweh doesn't save by many or by few. Some trust in chariots. Some trust in horses. Some trust in man. But we will remember the name of Almighty Yahweh. Psalm 20, verse 7. Do you know what Yahweh did after He brought about the promised curse upon Hiel the Bethelite? Do you know what Yahweh did? See, Yahweh may not come when we want Him to come, but He's always right on time. Amen? And Yahweh may not work how we want Him to work, but He always works. Well, you know what Yahweh did after that? After He sent that curse? The next verse tells us in chapter 17, verse 1. He sent one preacher, Eliyahu Navi, the prophet Elijah. The man from Tishbe in the land of Gilead. One man who the Bible says in 2 Kings 1.8 was a hairy man with a leather girdle around his waist. When evil was on the rise, the way that Yahweh worked was by sending one Harry Preacher, to do the job for him. Now we might think, what's one man going to do? We need an army, Yahweh. We'd rather you work like this, Yahweh. But no, one Harry Preacher will do. Elijah may not have looked like much. It seems to me that Yahweh's prophets in the Scriptures didn't look like much on the outside. But boy, they were beautiful on the inside. Yahweh was on Elijah's side. And that's all that mattered That's all that matters. That's the key, saints, is Yahweh on our side. If He is not, then we need to be afraid. If Yahweh is not on your side today, then you need to be very afraid. 
But if He is on your side, then who can be against you? Who can be against you? Do we really believe that? The most powerful person in the world's eyes, the richest person in the world's eyes, they don't hold a candle to Almighty Yahweh. They're no match whatsoever to Yahweh. Shame on us for ever even entertaining the thought that we're doomed because of what an Ahab does. Shame on us for focusing on the strength of man. Our help is in the name of Yahweh, the Creator of the heavens and the earth. Yahweh's preacher, Elijah, goes to Ahab and he speaks. And it's interesting because the Bible doesn't tell us a lot about him. He just shows up. This is the first time in the Bible that Eliyahu Navi is mentioned. And he just shows up. Tells us a little bit of where he came from. He was a Tishbite from the land of Tishbe in the region of Gilead, but that's it. doesn't tell us who his mama was, his daddy was, what tribe he was from. He just shows up. And he says this to Ahab, to the king, as Yahweh, the mighty one of Israel, lives, I stand before him. I'm in his presence, Ahab. And there will be no dew or rain during these years except by my command. So somewhere in the midst of Ahab's kingship, the prophet Elijah shows up and pronounces another curse. Yahweh already sent one curse by killing two sons of Hiel. Now he's sending another curse. Make no mistake about it. No rain or no dew is a curse. Yahweh sending another curse on King Ahab, wicked king of Israel. And Yahweh is saying this through the prophet, prophet Elijah, basically. So Ahab, you think that you have the power you think that you're in control. You think that everything is going okay in the kingdom. You think you can just do what you want to do. Well, let me show you something. I'm going to stop the dew, and I'm going to stop the rain. Well, 1 Kings 18, verse 1, says that this lasted for a long time, over three years. James chapter 5, verse 17, tells us that it lasted for three and a half years, three years and six months. And even Yeshua the Messiah mentions this in Luke chapter 4, verse 25. There was no dew or rain for three and a half years, friends. We call it a drought when we don't have rain for three and a half months. Or maybe for three and a half weeks we're praying for rain. This is three and a half years. No dew. No rain. That's a curse. Because when Elijah showed up, Yahweh showed up. Yahweh was on the prophet's side. And that's all that mattered. And it didn't matter what man did. Yahweh said, okay, you defy me, I'll close up the sky and I won't give you any rain. See, Elijah's name means my mighty one is Yahweh. That's what the name Eliyah means. Well, in the midst of Jezebel and King Ethbel of the Sidonians comes Eliyah. And Eliyah's mighty one was in charge of the rain. He had control over the weather. How many know Yahweh controls the weather? How many know Yahweh can bless you with that weather? How many know Yahweh can curse you with that weather? Let's don't just believe the Scriptures that says He can bless us with the weather because the Bible teaches here He can curse us with the weather. He can stop the rain for three and a half years. Deuteronomy 11, 16-17 says this. Yahweh says this to the Israelites. Be careful that you are not enticed to turn aside, worship, and bow down to other mighty ones. Then Yahweh's anger will burn against you He will close the sky and there will be no rain. The land will not yield its produce and you will perish quickly from the good land Yahweh is giving you. See, Yahweh had already spoken this promise, which was a promise of cursing back in the days of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 11. 
And now that curse was coming to pass years and years later, over a hundred years later, during the days of Ahab. Yahweh shut up the sky, and as Deuteronomy says, the land did not yield its produce, because when you lack rain, you can't grow anything. No rain means no growth. No growth means no food. No food means nothing to eat. Severe famine. King Ahab had built a temple, but he had not built a temple or tried to fortify the temple of Yahweh. He had built a temple to another god named Baal, or as we say, Baal. Ahab had built Baal an altar. Ahab worshipped not Yahweh. Ahab worshipped Baal. He transgressed the very first commandment, which says, do not have any mighty ones besides me. Ahab violated that commandment, no repentance in his heart, and he worshipped Baal, made him an altar, made him a temple to appease his wife, who was a Sidonian. That's what he was trying to do. He was trying to appease his wife. He loved Jezebel more than he loved Yahweh. In reality, he had no love for Almighty Yahweh. So Ahab worshipped Baal. Baal was a fertility god and a storm god in the Canaanite pantheon of God. See, the Canaanites didn't just have one mighty one like we do, like the Shema says. The first and greatest commandment is the Shema. Deuteronomy 6.4, the word Shema means listen, pay attention, and obey this. Yahweh, your mighty one, Yahweh is one. Or as I like to translate it probably better, Yahweh is your mighty one, Yahweh all by himself. And what that means is, is that Israel only had one mighty one. They were monotheists. They didn't have a pantheon of deities. They didn't have a deity for the rain and a deity for the dead and a deity for this and for that. Israel had one mighty one that was in control of everything. But the Canaanites had various mighty ones. Two of them are mentioned in 1 Kings 16. Baal and Asherah. Remember that? We read that a second ago. Ahab worshipped both of them, the god and the goddess of Canaan. Well, Baal was a fertility god. He was a god of growth. And he was also a storm god. To the Canaanites, Baal was in control of the weather, and that means the rain. Baal was the god who sent the rain to bless the earth. And whenever there was a drought, in their minds, Baal was handed over to another god, the god of death in Canaan, who I believe, if my memory doesn't fail me, they called either Mot or Mort. One of the two. Maybe Mort. I think that might be where we get the word mortician from. In one of my commentaries on 1 Kings, there's a brief portion of a story, an ancient Canaanite story, where the goddess, Lady Asherah, speaks of Baal's authority over the weather. And she says this in this ancient Canaanite story. Listen to this. Quote, Now Baal will begin the rainy season, the season of wadis and flood, and he will sound his voice in the clouds, flash his lightning to the earth. End of quote. That helps us to understand that Elijah's word from Yahweh was an indictment on Baal. Yahweh was turning off Baal's water hose in the, in the eyes of the Canaanites, in the eyes of the Baal worshippers. And that's because Yahweh controlled the weather, not Baal. And he proved it through his prophet by closing the sky for over three years in a row. Yahweh announced it through his preacher. Like I said, Yahweh sent one hairy preacher with a leather belt to do his job. While the government of that day was dumping out paganism like a flood, Yahweh in heaven, Yahweh, the mighty one of Israel who controls the weather, stopped the rain. And he sends his man, the man of Elohim, as both Elijah and Elisha are called. He sends his man to pronounce this judgment. 
Yahweh does exactly what needs to be done in His time and in His way. His hands are never tied when wickedness is on the rise. I like how Ronald Wallace puts it in his book titled Elijah and Elisha. When Mr. Wallace writes this, listen carefully, quote, For to see Elijah appear thus reminds us that we need not despair when we see great movements of evil achieving spectacular success on this earth. For we may be sure that Yahweh in unexpected places has already secretly prepared His counter-movement. Yahweh has always His ways of working underground to undermine the stability of evil. Yahweh can raise men for His service from nowhere. Therefore, the situation is never hopeless where Yahweh is concerned. Whenever evil flourishes, it is always a superficial flourish. For at the height of the triumph of evil, Yahweh will be there, ready with His man and His movement and His plans to ensure that His own cause will never fail. End of that quote. Beautiful quote. Brothers and sisters, let us not forget who is in control. Let us be the remnant. Who cares if we are just a few? Who cares if we're just a small church off of a dirt road? Who cares if our brothers and sisters are the scattered ones throughout the globe? Yahweh doesn't need numbers. He doesn't say by many or by few. Quit trusting in chariots and in horses and trust in the name of Almighty Yahweh. Our help is in the name of Yahweh. It's a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they're safe in that strong tower. It is frustrating to see Yahweh's people get caught up into thinking that Yahweh saves by worldly means. Listen, a mother who homeschools her children has the power of Yahweh in her fingertips. A father who works by the sweat of his face and provides for his family has the power of Yahweh in his hands and in his fingertips. A family who prays together and for each other, and spends time with each other, has the power of Yahweh right in their hands because they're doing the vocation that Yahweh has placed them in. They're doing exactly what Yahweh has required them to do in His Word. And a church who comes together like we're doing right now to worship Almighty Yahweh, whether we realize it or not, whether our faith is weak or whether it's big, is still faith, praise Yahweh. Whether it's weak or big, we have the power of Yahweh in our hands. And no weapon formed against us shall prosper. That's not talking about the prosperity movement. That's talking about Yahweh's people. That's talking about those that keep His commandments. That He has covenant loyalty to for a thousand generations. With those who do what? Love Him and keep His commandments. Who doesn't throw the commandments away like a sack of old sack of burnt potatoes or something. But who treasures it as much fine gold. Cost more costly than silver. Sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in the keeping of them there is great reward. There is great reward. There was a battle going on between Elijah and Ahab. Ahab did not stand a chance. And it was because Yahweh was not with King Ahab. He wasn't with him. But he was with the prophet. He was with the hairy preacher. Second Chronicles 7 verse 14 says this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and most people miss this next one, and turn from their wicked ways. That's repentance. Brother Ron, you mentioned repentance last week. That's repentance, a turning from sin. Not a flirting with sin, not a playing around with sin, but a turning from sin and a walking in the way of righteousness. 
If we do that, Yahweh says He will hear from heaven, He will forgive our sin, and He will hear our land. That's not Brother Matthew. That's Almighty Yahweh. Dear beloved saints, Yahweh is in control. Rest in that today. When you lay your head down on your pillow tonight, you rest in that, that Yahweh is in control. I'm going to talk more about this next week, and I'm going to get into some things next week I think it was going to be very encouraging to the saints. But today, let me end by saying Yahweh's in control. He's not asleep. He sees what's going on in our world today, just like He saw back in the days of Ahab in 1 Kings 16. In 1 Kings 16, we have nothing but wicked kings. We have King Basha. He reigned for 24 years doing evil. We have King Elah, who reigned for two years doing evil. We have King Zimri, who reigned for seven days, actually, doing evil. And we have King Omri, who reigned for 12 years, doing evil. And then we have King Ahab, who reigned for 22 years, doing evil. That's about 60 years of reigning of evil kings. Utter wickedness, idol worship, sexual immorality, murder, theft, everything on the rampage. Evil among evil among evil among evil. Utter wickedness. But guess what? Yahweh was not asleep. He was still on the throne and He showed up right on time. Not in Matthew's time. Not in anybody else's time. But Yahweh showed up right on time. Let's do that. Let's pray. Let's seek Yahweh's face. Let's turn from our wicked ways. Let's ask Yahweh to heal our land. And let's, let's let Him hear from heaven when, when His people who are called by the name of Yahweh do that. Let's let that take place. No matter who ruled or rules upon the earth, Yahweh still ruled from heaven. And Yahweh proved it by closing the sky up and stopping the rain. I've been praying lately that if it be your will, Yahweh, that if you want to show up and send an Elijah and stop the rain again to wake up some people's attention, then so let it be done. And if that not be your will, Father Yahweh, you do whatever it takes and you do whatever you want to do to let your will be accomplished. He's still just as awake today in 2016 as He was back in Ahab's time. So brothers and sisters, when you go home tonight, you go home tonight and you love your family. You love on your family. You give them a hug and tell them how much you appreciate them. Or you leave here, you hug your brother and your sister and you tell them how much you appreciate them. That's, that's the work of Yahweh. You spend time with your family. Pray with your family. Pray for your family. Us men, let's study the Bible. Let's set an example for our family. Let's be an example for our wife. Let's be an example to our children. Part of that example, men, means that we need to repent often. We need to ask for forgiveness a lot. That's part of our example. A man of repentance, a man of humility, a man that trembles at the Word of Yahweh, a man that seeks and strives to obey Yahweh's commandments but still recognizes he falls so short from the glory of Yahweh but he wants to do better. So he repents in front of his wife and in front of his children and asks Yahweh to help him. Help me lead and guide my home. Let's do that. That's the work of Yahweh. That's what Yahweh will be pleased with if you go home and do that. Fathers, let's teach our sons how to work. Sweat like men. Lead and provide for their family one day. That's what little boys are meant to grow up and do, is to work and labor with their hands and provide for themselves and for their family. Mothers, let's teach our daughters how to cook, how to sew, how to nurture, how to care and how to guide the home like only a woman can do. That's the work of Yahweh. You want to do something for Yahweh? You want to do something radical for Yahweh? Do that, mothers. That has more power in it than you could ever imagine. 
Let's honor our parents. Let's keep our word. Let's honor the Sabbath. Let's be faithful in our marriages. Let's love people. Let's love our enemies. Let's fear Yahweh and keep His commandments because that's the whole duty of mankind. The rest of all this stuff is just noise. It's just static. Solomon said, let me tell you the conclusion of the matter. I know a brother that every sermon that he preaches at the end of the sermon, he ends it like this. Now I will close and tell you the conclusion of the matter. Fear Yahweh and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. The rest is just commentary. I can preach the whole law to you while I stand on my right foot by quoting that passage in Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Yahweh will show up when the time is right in His time. Yahweh's hands are not tied. His methods are perfect. And His silence, what we consider to be His silence on the earth, is His loving patience in disguise. His loving patience in disguise. We serve an awesome Creator. And just like Eliyah, our Mighty One is also Yahweh. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can you get behind that? Just like Eliyahu Navi, our Mighty One is also Yahweh. We serve the same Mighty One that Elijah served. He's not changed. He's still the same. He can still do anything today that He did back then. We serve the same Mighty One today. He's still on the throne. He never has stopped ruling from heaven. We'll continue next week by talking more about the prophet uh, Eliyahu. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we love You, we thank You, we praise You, and we worship You today. Father, thank You for being a great, mighty one, and thank You for such an encouraging passage of Scripture today. I pray, Father Yahweh, that we would not just love You, but that we would fear You and tremble at Your Word. Yahweh, Father, may we be the Elijah remnant on the earth while we live. May we fear You and not be afraid of what man may do or do to us. Father, help us to trust Your Word. We get weary sometimes. We get weary in well-doing. I think that's why Paul said, let's not grow weary in well-doing. But Father, I pray that You'd help us. When we're weary, I pray that You'd take over by Your Spirit. And when we are weak, You would be mighty and You would be strong. Father, forgive us for our sins. Help us forgive those that transgress against us. And Yahweh, we thank you so much and we praise you, most of all for your Son, our kinsman, Redeemer. It's through him we pray. Amen.